Well, that song was very fitting for tonight's message. If you will, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35. We're going to give you the Bible tonight, like always. I do appreciate you being patient with me and allowing me to preach through the book of Genesis. Uh, from a preacher's point of view, uh, it makes it easier for me in some ways, more difficult in others, easier in the fact that I don't have to try to figure out what topic or what passage I'm going to preach on each time. I already know it's the next one in line, the next chapter. But then a little more difficult, but good for me because I have to dig a little deeper and study myself and study things I haven't studied in a long time. And so it's, uh, it's very, very good, and I really enjoy this kind of teaching, and I appreciate uh, you uh, allowing me to just continue to study uh, through this book. And uh, I have a pretty good uh, set of notes now, and it continues to grow. And you're welcome to them at any time. Genesis 35. You remember in 34, two weeks ago, we studied about how that this man named Shechem uh, raped one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah. And he fell in love with her. And so he wanted to marry her. And so he and his father approached uh, Jacob and his sons and, and asked permission for Shechem to marry her. And, of course... They were of another land, another uh, nationality of people. Uh, but the sons were a little deceptive, to say the least. And they came up with this scheme. And they said to Shechem and his father that they could not give their sister to marry one of them because they were uncircumcised. But if they would be circumcised, both of them and all the men of the city of Shechem, that's where they lived in the city of Shechem, then uh, they would be like one people. And they would give their daughters and they would take the daughters from, from that land and give their daughters and they would just intermingle and they would live together and they would trade with one another. And, and so the men, those two men, Shechem and his father, went back they, they kind of liked the idea because, well, after all, he really wanted her to be his wife and, uh, very badly. And so they go back before the men. They tell the men, look, pretty much we've got a good deal here for y'all. That is, these people are friendly people. They're good to us. And they're willing to join up with us and become one people. And we'll exchange daughters and all these different things and Eventually, we will basically overtake them and get everything that they have. But the only thing we really have to do is we have to be circumcised. And so the men thought about it, and they agreed to be circumcised. And so they were circumcised. And on the third day, when they were extremely sore, you remember two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, went to Shechem with their swords and they killed all the men of that city. They took their wives to be their servants. They took their children. They, took, they spoiled the city. They took everything they had. And you remember Jacob, their father, when he heard about it, he was very upset. Number one, it made them look bad in the eyes of the rest of the nations. But number two, he feared that the rest of the people in the land would team up together and come against him and destroy him and, 
and all of his family and everything that he had. And so that's really what happened in a nutshell in, verse, in chapter 34. When we get to chapter 35, the main things that I saw in this chapter was, first of all, Jacob returns to Bethel. He's already been there. You remember, Jacob had to leave his father and mother because of what he did to his brother Esau, and he was told to go uh, into uh, uh, another land, and there he would get a wife to go be... He was to go be with his uncle Laban. And, of course, you know the story. We covered how all that happened and all the years that were there. And he ends up with two wives and two concubines that becomes his wives. And, and so he's, he's on his way back home. He's making that journey. He has to face his brother Esau, which he managed to face Esau. He gets through all that. And so now he's on his way to Bethel, returning back uh, to his homeland. The people gave... Uh, Jacob also all of their strange gods. We see that happening in this chapter. So uh, you remember the, the people in that day were very idolatrous people for some reason. That seemed to be a real issue. They had their idols and things that they worshipped. Also God appears to Jacob a second time and he reaffirmed the patriarchal promise. We also find in this chapter the death of Rachel. And then we have a list, if you want a list of the 12 sons of Jacob and their mothers, it's in chapter 35. And then Jacob makes it back to Isaac, his father. And of course, then we read it talking about Isaac's death in chapter 35. So we'll begin with verse 1 and we'll just uh, look at blocks of this chapter. And God said unto Jacob, Arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and cleanse your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of the Lord was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people which were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called and I have no idea how to pronounce that. You can uh, work on that at, on your own time. But uh, A-L-L-O-N-B-A-C-H-U-T-H. -H. So in the previous chapter, Jacob is distressed over the massacre of the men of Shechem by his two sons, Simeon and Levi. And then as we mentioned, great, Jacob greatly feared that all the rest of the people of the land would band together and attack him and kill his family. 
at this time at the beginning of this chapter he very possibly could have been praying to God about this very matter it was very common for people of God men of God when they were distressed when they were worried or afraid of the people around about them or what was going to happen to them like David for example many of the Psalms he's praying to God about his enemies and the fear he had and for God to take care of him well that that could very well be what was going on he could have been praying to God when God spoke to him and commanded him to return to Bethel and there to build an altar God also reminded him that Bethel is where he met him when uh, he was running from his brother Esau, and we studied that. In this chapter, one can also see, I believe, some real growth that has taken place in Jacob's faith. You know, when we talked about Abraham, we noticed how that Abraham was not always that strong in the faith. We watched him as his faith developed. You remember when uh, he was afraid that you know, he would be killed by Pharaoh, and he was afraid to be killed by Abimelech, and he had his wife, you know, Sarah, uh, tell a lie to the king for fear of it, to trying to save his own hide. Things went on in his life, but as he gets to about chapter 22, we see that Abraham's faith was so strong that he was willing to take the life of his own uh, son, knowing that God would raise him from the dead if he allowed him to take his life. So we saw Abraham's faith as it developed and as it grew. And then as we looked at Isaac, we saw the same thing. We saw his faith, not as strong early on, but then it grew and grew and he became stronger and stronger in the faith. Jacob, the same thing. We find Jacob, we find a lot of deception in his life. Uh, we see that he's uh, quite often he's afraid for his life. He's afraid that someone's going to take his life. Even though God had made him a promise that he would take care of him, protect him, that you know he would be in that seed line, that through him all nations of the earth would be blessed. But yet his faith was not always that strong. And so in chapter 35, it looks to me like I see that his faith is really strengthened here at this point in his life. Notice, he commanded the people to put away all their false gods. Why didn't he do that before? Was his faith not strong enough? Or did he just discover that they had false gods? Surely he knew there were some false gods among the people. But he's at a point in his life now, his faith is so strong that he stands up to them. He commands them to give over their false gods and to clean up and to change their clothes in preparation for worshiping God. I think there's a lot to be said in just that section right there. The idea of when you go before the throne of God. We need to prepare ourselves. I don't believe he's just talking about their clothes. He's telling them to clean up their lives. Get rid of your idols. Uh, clean yourselves up inside and out. Prepare to meet the king. And so it is with us. We need to prepare ourselves when it comes time to worshiping God. And we need to work on the inside especially. And keep it pure and clean and holy. And pleasing in God's sight. So uh, he reminded them. Jacob reminded them how that God had been with him. In his times of trouble. And surprisingly to me. These people gave up their gods. And their earrings. You know that's that wasn't a common thing. Normally. Things were really, really bad when God's people would humble themselves and do what was right. Here, Jacob's distress, but the people just, he says, give it up. They give, 
they give them up. These were not just regular earrings, I don't believe, or charms, as some people call them. But somehow they were connected to idolatry. So it could have been the symbols that were on them or what have you. But it had to do something with idolatry or idolatrous worship. Remember back in chapter 31 when Jacob was leaving Laban. You remember how he snuck out and was trying to get away from him without him knowing it because he was afraid of what Laban would do to him and would take his family away from him and all that he had gained. You remember as they left, Rachel stole her father's images, right? So Laban was an idolater who was the brother of Rebekah. And now uh, Rachel has some, we know for sure. In verse 19 of Genesis 31, it says, And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stole... Let me see. And Laban went to shear his sheep... And, Laban, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. Laban calls them his gods. In Genesis 31 verse 30. And now though thou wouldest needs be gone. Because thou sore longest after thy father's house. Yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods. His, his own daughter stole his gods. Of course you remember. Uh, when Laban came to look for him, she had him beneath her and the, under the saddle of the camel. And uh, she said she was the way of women and at that time so she wouldn't get up. And so she actually stole him and got away with it. And uh, I'm not sure whether uh, some of these gods might have been some of the things that they took from the, the Shemites, the, the uh, Shechemites. Because when they spoiled the, the people of the land, you know, they, you know, there was gold and silver and all those things. And I'm sure they were idolatrous people as well. And so probably some of them coveted some of those uh, idols that they had. Uh, but Jacob, they, they gave it all to Jacob. Jake, Jacob took it and he left all these things under an oak tree in Shechem. And uh, before he left and before they started off to Bethel. Now, again, Jacob was afraid of the people of the land. But as it is so many times, when God's people were afraid of the people of the land, the people of the land were afraid of God and his people. That's seen time and time again. The word, um, the word of how awesome their God was had preceded them. It was before them. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 25. The Bible says. There shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you. And the dread of you upon all the land. That ye shall tread upon. As he has said unto you. And as the children of Israel were going into the promised land. Remember when they were coming out of the wilderness. Uh, people were hearing ahead of time of the miracles and all that God was doing and how that God had spared them, the Israelite, from the Egyptians. That put fear in the heart of the people of those lands. You remember why they didn't go into the promised land earlier? God's people feared the people of Canaan, right? When they sent in the spies to spy out the land, they came back ten with the evil report and the people, their hearts were afraid. And so they would not go up when God told them to go up and possess the land. And so because of their fear of those people, 
They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and all of the fighting men that were below tw uh, above 20 died in the wilderness. Were not able to go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Fear. But all the while, the people of the land was fearing them. And they were afraid of the people of the land. Sometimes I'm afraid it's like that in the church today. As I've been out doing personal work, and you have too, I'm sure, you have noticed how that those people out there used to years ago more so than now, but they really feared engaging us in discussions about the Bible because members of the Church of Christ were known as scripture-quoting, Bible-toting people. That was the reputation that we had. I don't know that we have it so much anymore, but they feared us. They did not want to engage us and and we understood that once we got over our fears of them and started talking to them, we realized we had nothing to be afraid of at all. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible said, And she said unto them, this is uh, the harlot there in, in uh, Jericho, I know that the Lord has given you, Rahab, the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So the people of Jericho was afraid of God's people. Well, here's Jacob. He's afraid of the people of the land. But the people of the land was afraid of Jacob. Because of Jacob's God. Many times did God have to step in to protect and preserve his chosen people. This uh, quote from Brother uh, Winton in his commentary. He also says he meant what he had promised Jacob in Genesis 28:15, And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places, whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken, of, uh, spoken to thee of. And that's a very true statement. God was going to take care of his people. He had a purpose for Jacob. He had a purpose for his sons. And it all worked into God's huge scheme of redemption, the plan that he had before he ever created man. When Jacob and his people made it back to Bethel, he built an altar, and he and the people worshiped God there. Also, we find that Deborah, who according to Genesis 24, verse 59 was Rebecca's nurse. Well, she dies, and she was buried under an oak tree. The place where she was buried, the name of it means the oak, oak of weeping. Isn't it amazing how that all those names of places and people had meanings back then? She must have been one who was greatly loved for that place to be named the Oak of Weeping. No doubt the people loved her uh, because of her service to them, and they were very much grieved and weeping. Brother Kaufman says in his commentary, he says, If Deborah's death occurred here at Bethel on the occasion of Jacob's return, then she must have been at least 150 years old, which is not at all unreasonable to view, in view of the ages recorded of other people at that same historic period. Deborah had either been sent by Rebecca to take care of her daughter-in-law and grandsons, 
or had gone of her own accord into Jacob's household after the death of her mistress, Rebekah. The mourning at her death and the perpetuation of her memory are good proofs that she must have been a faithful and highly esteemed servant in Jacob's house. And so it looks from what we see here that this nurse of Rebekah was very highly esteemed. She was a very one of the very special people, uh, women, that we read about in God's Word. There's so many special women in the Old Testament and good examples for our ladies to follow. Okay, verse 9 of chapter 35. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a, comp a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering upon uh, thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place which where God spake with him Bethel. If you remember in Genesis 35, God had previously appeared to Jacob when he was in Shechem. And he told him to go to Bethel. That was 35 verse 1. God appears to Jacob again when he came out of uh, Padanaram and reaffirmed the patriarchal promise with Jacob. And God reaffirmed his new name. The first mention of this was after Jacob had wrestled with the angel of the Lord. You remember in Genesis 32 verse 28. The Bible says, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hath prevailed. Remember he wrestled all night. And he told the angel he wouldn't let him go till he blessed him. And remember the angel touched him in his thigh. And of course that's when his name was uh, changed at that time. So uh, being reminded of that as well. Also, after God talked to Jacob and had left Jacob, then Jacob placed a stone there and then he poured a drink offering and oil on it and called the place Bethel. Well, this was a little confusing because it sounds much like what Jacob did about 30 years earlier. In Genesis 28, we studied verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put for a pillow, pillows, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Okay, so that's where when Jacob had wrestled with the, I mean, when Jacob had seen the ladder and the angels. 
Okay, so Jacob renewed the name of that place is basically what I best I can understand here at this point. He was just renewing the name of that place that he had named after dreaming about the ladder with the angels descending and ascending. Remember, then he did that and he, he did a lot of the same. Uh, Brother Winton says, on that occasion when Jacob gave this name to the place, he was the only human present. Now his family and household were present. That's one way he distinguishes that you know it happened at two different times. So the name is given especially for their information. Perhaps all his company had seen the manifestation of God, an angel in human form as in Genesis 19, possibly, and thus this place was special to them all. So you remember the first time, you know, he had sent, uh, at, well, he, did, he was there by himself, basically, and his family would, had gone ahead of him. Okay, now verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But, her, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, Ephrath which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. So Jacob left Bethel. He continued his journey to see his father. And when he was close to Ephra, uh, however you say it, which is Bethlehem, that's a lot easier to say, uh, Rachel went into labor. Her midwife tried to comfort her while she was in this, this really hard labor by telling her that she was going to have this son. Well, really, I don't know how that she knew that it was a son at that point in time because she was in labor. Uh, unless she was just, you know, in that day, to have a, a son was a big thing. Uh, no disrespect for the young ladies and women, but... It was, it was just different to have a, a, a boy, a man-child instead of a, a, a girl, a daughter. And so perhaps she's saying because you know, Rachel wanted children. And of course, she had Joseph. But her sister had really outdone her in that area for sure because God, through God's providence. And so that might have given her some comfort to just think upon having uh, another son for her husband. And so she named him uh, Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. But Jacob changed the name. I bet none of you men would try to do that. He was pretty brave. I told you his faith had grown by this time. So he changed his name to Benjamin. Which means son of my right hand or son of days or son of my old age. 
So Rachel was buried there. Jacob marked her grave with a pillar. And then Moses, who wrote this, said that in his day, Rachel's burial place was still there. Verse 21. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Levi, Levi uh, of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Iskar, and Zebulun, uh, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, uh, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Padanaram. Now, this is the first time that Moses called Jacob by his new name Israel. Israel spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar, which also can be translated and is translated in some translations, the tower of the flock. This was a tower used by shepherds to protect their flocks. So, you know, towers were good, especially in that day, uh, with the weapons, the primitive weapons and all that they had to be able to get up high and to be able to see. Just like Jericho and other cities that were walled cities. There was a purpose for that. It was for protection and things. And so uh, many believe that it was located about one mile south of Bethlehem. It was there that Reuben, the oldest son of Jacob, disgraced his father by lying with Bilhah, which was Rachel's handmaid, and would also be his father's wife. Moses did not write about Jacob's reaction in this text when he heard of his son's wickedness, but we know that he did not approve of it at all. He was very displeased, and we really can pick up on that later in Genesis when we get to chapter 49, Verses 3 and 4 where the Bible says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's house, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. And so... He didn't get much of a blessing passed upon him, did he? And then, uh, of course, the sin of Reuben caused him to lose his birthright, being the oldest child. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph the sons of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. And so he lost his birthright because of committing that terrible sin 
with his father's wife. And so, of course, here you have the list of the 12 sons. You have the mothers of each of the sons. And then verse 37. I think about when I read that. Don't forget that when you read about these, these sons of Jacob, they did some terrible things, didn't they? Uh, but yet from them came the 12 tribes of Israel. I told you God can take imperfect people and work out a perfect plan. How he does it, I don't know, but he can do it. He did it. That's God. Verse 27. Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, uh, and which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It kind of makes you think of Abraham when Abraham died. Ishmael and Isaac uh, came together and buried their father, right? Now you have these two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, coming together to bury their father. So Jacob finally made it back to his father's house. That was a pretty good journey, wasn't it? He, he had been gone for quite a while. Look, his mother was uh, dead before he ever made it back. So little did he know that when he left home, running from his brother, he'd never see his mother again alive. And so then he gets back uh, to, to his father, finally, in Hebron. And then it looks like the way this is written, that when he gets back, his father dies and that's it. But actually, his father Isaac lived about another 12 or 13 years from that time. This is something that I had never really thought about that much, but he actually was living when Joseph was sold into slavery. And so when... So when Jacob was mourning over thinking his son had been killed by a wild beast, well, Isaac was right along with it. Uh, he, was, he, he was alive at that time. And so that was his grandson. And so it, the Bible doesn't say anything about all that, but uh, you can imagine what was going on with him as well. But he does, uh, he does die about 12 or 13 years later at the age of 180 and then he's buried by his, his two sons. And even though Isaac is still alive, the focus of the story is on Jacob. Now you remember, you see that, that seed line, so important. God used people for a certain purpose. And then when their purpose was up, you don't read about them much anymore. Just like John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes on the scene preaching the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the next thing you know, Jesus comes on the scene. John was the forerunner. He had a purpose. Once his purpose was over, he was beheaded. He's out of the picture. Now it's Jesus. And so it went from Abraham to Isaac. Now Isaac's still alive, but we're not going to hear much about Isaac because lately we've been hearing about Jacob. It's going to go with Jacob for a while, and then it's going to go start with his sons. And so uh, watch closely how God uses this, these people and how God develops this nation of Israel through whom the Savior of the world 
can come, which is Jesus. So you want to see that all the way through the Old Testament. I'm going to briefly hit on 36. I'm not going to read 36. Really, 36 is about the, uh, as it says in Genesis 36, verse 1, now these are the generations of Esau. So it's about his descendants. And so there's a lot of names in that chapter. That's mostly what it is, but there are some things there that need to be noticed. For example, in this chapter, Moses wrote of how God blessed Esau. Uh, very much so, just like he had promised him. Uh, the promise was made to him in Genesis 27, verse 30 through 40. So when you get to Genesis 36, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all his beasts and all his substance which he had got in the land of Canaan and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. For their riches were more than they might uh, their riches were more than that they might dwell together. And the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Sounds like Abraham, doesn't it? And um, Lot, when they had to part ways. Uh, but here, the land couldn't, they were so blessed, Jacob and Esau as well, that the land couldn't handle all their cattle and all their livestock and all that they had. Also in verse 8 of 36, it points out that Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. And also in verse 9 of 36, Esau is the father of the Edomites. So when you read about the Edomites, know that these go back to Esau. The Edomites had dukes. You read about dukes in this chapter, verse uh well, all through this chapter. Dukes are, uh, some translations calls them chiefs. They have chiefs to rule over them. And then they will have kings. So the, they, they had the system of monarchy. They had monarchs. Uh, in Genesis 36, verse 31, it says, And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Eden before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. So they had kings way before the children of Israel had kings. When You mean the children of Israel had, uh, had judges to rule over them. But they eventually wanted to be like the Edomites and everybody else, and they wanted to, to have kings to rule over them. Okay, and so the Edomites were also idolatrous people. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14, the Bible says, Now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir. So that would be the Edomites. And set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. And so when they went in and took, uh, fought them, and took, they took their gods, so they had gods. And Solomon also married some Edomites. Remember 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 1, the Bible says, But King Solomon loved many strange wives, foreign wives. Together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites. And so he had some wives that were Edomites. And with them being idolatrous people, and the others mentioned there as well, we know that, the end, that what happened to Solomon in verse 4 of 1 Kings 11 says, And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. 
That's why you want to make sure you marry a faithful Christian. The Edomites became David's servants. 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 13. And so down the road, you've got these two family lines or family trees. And eventually they come together and the, the Edomites become servants to David, which David was, would be in the seed of Jacob. The Edomites revolted in 2 Chronicles 21, verse 8. Um, and in verse Chronicles 28, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says that at that time did King Ahaz send unto the kings of Assyria to help him. For again the Edomites had come and smitten Judah and carried away captives. So there was trouble between the descendants of Esau and Jacob. But to Esau's credit, he never harmed his brother Jacob. So when you read about the Edomites, you know who to connect that with. And, uh, but there will not be nearly as much said about Esau and his descendants as there will be about Jacob and his descendants because that's the path that God takes to get his son Christ into the world so that we have a Savior. And so that's uh, 35 and 36. When we get to 37, we're going to read about Joseph with his coat of many colors and how his brothers were envious. And so that's, that's going to be a good one. So we'll save that for, Lord willing, uh, next week. If it, yeah. And so if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, um, you may not got a whole got a whole lot out of all this study, but, but what I see in all of that is the providential working of God. How that God could take imperfect people People that did some horrible things. They could grow their faith. He could even use people that were not good people that were not his people. He used them as well from time to time. But God was able to work out a perfect plan to bring a perfect Savior into this world to save imperfect people like us so that one day we could have a perfect home with him in heaven forever. It's amazing. It did not just happen. Jesus did not just come on the scene and, and it just happened. God started working this plan way back when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He put it into place. And he worked to get to the point where Christ would be born of a virgin. He would live a life without sin by his own choice. Then he would die upon the cross that we would have a savior. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the one and only way. John 14, 6. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. Look at what God has done for you. God wants you to be saved. He went through great lengths to make sure you had a way to be saved. Jesus wants us all to be saved. He left the glories of heaven. He came to earth. He, he lived in a human body. He suffered, bled, and died so that we could be saved. The Holy Spirit wants us to be saved. He gave us the book that tells us exactly what we must do in order to be saved. Gives us all the information that we need when it comes to what one must do to be saved and what one must do to remain in a right relationship with God. The church wants you to be saved. Tonight, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to do so. 
by believing that Jesus Christ is Son of God, repenting of all your sins, confess Him before men. That is, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then allow someone to baptize you into Christ for the remission of sins. Galatians three twenty six and twenty seven and Acts chapter two verse thirty eight. If you're here this evening and you need to respond, you need to make things right with God. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?